This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. All right, what is going on, podcast fans? How you doing? Welcome to episode number 95 of the Moranalytics podcast. Today is Tuesday, February 19th. 2019. I am Patrick Moran. Thanks as always for tuning in, downloading. If you haven't subscribed, please do that. Rating review. It all helps tremendously. Today's a special podcast, at least for me, it definitely is anyway, because this is to the exact date, the one year anniversary of the Moranalytics podcast. I launched this show back on February 19th, 2018. And my very first guest ever was Sal Capaccio from WGR 550. Fast forward one year and 94 episodes later, and the sentiment just felt like it was the perfect time to bring Sal back. So that is going to happen today. Let me say this too. Major, major props to Sal. Not just for doing the podcast, but doing it severely under the weather. Sal's been sick over the last handful of days, but he toughed it out for me. Gritty performance. Sal's a gritty dude. We talk about that first episode a year ago, which was a completely different interview that focused more on Sal well beyond his job. I would definitely recommend hitting up the archives and hitting that up. Shouldn't be too hard to find. Literally, like I said, it was the first episode, and I'll also put a link to that interview in the show notes. Today's a completely different tone as we primarily talk about that team he covers, the Buffalo Bills. We take a tour around the roster with stops at each position, and Sal provides some insight on where the team stands at each spot, highlighting some potential free agents and draft prospects along the way. In particular, I think that you're going to want to hear his takes on Spencer Long, Michelle McCoy, and Levi Wallace. We also hit on the Yankees offseason. And this Buffalo Sabres campaign, a promising season that has just imploded in front of our very eyes. It's a really good interview. I'll have that for you in just a minute. Before that, though, I wouldn't be having a one-year anniversary of the Moranalytics podcast were it not for some of the great guests that I've been able to get on this show. And I want to start by saying this. Besides Sale, who obviously, like I said, he did episode one, guys like Tim Graham, and Tyler Dunn, and Mike Harrington, they came on very early during this process, not knowing if the show was going to be any good or not. I asked them ahead of time if they would do the show. In fact, in the case of Tim and Tyler, I asked them before I even launched the show. I said, I want to do this podcast, 
but I need you to commit to doing the show because I know that having you on will bring in some credibility. I know it'll bring some new fans. I know it'll bring listens and downloads, stuff like that. They all agreed. And it helped give me, like I said, especially among the, the Buffalo sports media, some star power right away. And it helped me establish this as a podcast that would have guests on, not just where we would talk about sports. I mean, talking about sports, of course, is always fun. But what I wanted to do that was different. And what I hope that this podcast is different from than other podcasts that you listen to is that with the Moranalytics podcast, I do everything I can to kind of pull back that curtain a little bit and give fans a chance to get to know some of these sports personalities on a more personal level, not just their jobs and what they do, but how they got there, you know, where they grew up, where they went to school, what they enjoyed doing as for hobbies when they were kids, you know, why did they go to the college that they went to? What were their stops before they got to where they were going? Then I get their takes, you know, on sports media issues, on social media issues. Try to have a little bit fun. I, I try to keep it lighthearted. I always end most interviews anyway with the mini lightning round where I just fire off some random questions and we find out stuff like who their favorite three dinner guests would be, their favorite Twitter handles, their favorite, you know, places to visit, stuff like that. I just thought it would be something unique and different that fans would get a, a nice kick out of. And so far, so good. But anyway... Guys like that helped me establish that early on. And from there, it kind of spilled a little bit into getting lucky with a couple of national guests. I had Ross Tucker on really early on. He, he gave the show a nice lift. And then Richard Deitch, who had just left Sports Illustrated to join The Athletic, he gave me a huge lift. Ultimately, that culminated with having Adam Schefter on. I had him on for a full hour, same format. Like I said, we talked about Adam from childhood all the way through where he's at right now. That was back on episode 23. Once I had Adam Schefter on, you know, all bets were off. And uh, since then, I've been able to get several prominent guests like Josina Anderson and Lee Steinberg, several national sports media personalities. It's been a lot of fun. And I've been blessed to have, you know, by this point, a nice majority of the local Buffalo sports media still working on some. So if you haven't been on this show yet and you're a Buffalo sports media person out there listening, I promise you I'm going to reach out to you soon. My goal is to get everyone on here. I've also had several athletes like uh, Eric Wood, Don Beebe, Steve Christie, former Buffalo Bills. They've been on the show. I've had former NBA legends like Rod Strickland and Kenny Anderson on the show. And listen, I know I'm name dropping and shit like that right now, but it's important to me that I acknowledge and give thanks to these people because it's helped me continue to grow this podcast and to continue attracting new fans. And I also want to thank some of the guys who aren't big name people that I'm friends with or I have become friends with that have really helped me contribute to regular segments such as Pat with Pucks, uh, The Running with Joe. I've had Mike Nietzsche on for some episodes, Aaron Quinn from Cover One. I look forward to continuing to grow those. Those guys have been great and very instrumental in what I do because, you know, I have a feature guest on and we talk sports and life. And then I have those guys on and they really do a great job of helping me hit on the sports and pop culture topics that are going on right now. I feel like they bring something different to the show, something unique as well. And it all comes together and it's because of people like that. So I thank them a lot. And then lastly, and by far most importantly, Thanks to all the sports fans and the podcast fans out there who listen and subscribe to this show. I mean, it sounds cliche to say, but it's true. You are literally the reason this podcast is here 
and growing stronger every week. And you're the ones that make putting the work in to do this twice a week. A lot of fun. Definitely worth the trouble. So I truly appreciate each and every single person out there who listens to the Moranalytics podcast. All right. So thank you very much for allowing me that indulging opening. Now let's get into today's podcast. Here's my interview with the sick but gritty Sal Capaccio from WGR 550. And then I'm going to finish it off with a few takes on the Buffalo Sabres and my new love affair with coffee. All right, folks, my guest today is the Buffalo Bills beat reporter for WGR 550. He's also an on-air personality for WGR. He's one of my favorite dudes in the sports media and literally the first ever guest on the Moranalytics podcast one year ago on this very date. My man, Sal Capaccio. What's up, Sal? I know you've been feeling very much under the weather lately. Thanks for doing this. Appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. And happy anniversary to your uh, to your podcast. Uh, I guess I should say happy Valentine's Day. Thanks for having me on there <laughs> for that right around the same time. I don't know what that says about us. Uh, it, it's funny, though. I, I do. I was thinking about, you know, uh, you know, I had very similar types of paths in the uh, in the media industry as far as our, our forays that went into there. And, you know, I went to school for it and all that. And I know that, you know, you were doing it on the side and things like that. But, you know, we used to be on message boards and uh, you know, battling uh, some people and trolls as far as the bills and rumors and sites. And, you know, it's it's kind of funny how everything's just come so long. and so full circle, I guess. Yeah, definitely. For sure. That first episode. And again, it was literally the first episode. Everyone out there listening, if you didn't catch it, if you didn't know the podcast at the time, really good interview. Me and you went for about an hour and we only actually talked about the bills for like maybe five minutes. We spent a lot of time talking about you growing up in Western New York, yep. you know, going to college, a career moving to Florida, all kinds of stuff like that. I remember you told a really cool story about sneaking into that iconic Syracuse-UConn game <laughs> as a media member. Really good stuff. So I would tell people, advise them to go back and listen. Again, it, it, it's not dated. It had very little to do with the Buffalo Bills and football. It's more about your story. Really cool stuff. Before we get started, too, by the way, I do want to thank you because, you know, going back to that year, you, there were three people and I, and I've told this story. I've been on a lot of other podcasts, not just sports podcasts, but podcasts in general. And I'm always asked the same question, you know, well, when you first started, how did you do certain things? And I remember very vividly that before I started this podcast, I had chose three people. I talked to three people it was you, Tim Graham and Tyler Dunn. I wanted to get a commitment and make sure that I could get you three guys on the show because I felt like if I can get you on right away, that it would help establish some credibility right away. It would get listeners, and, and surely it did. You know what I mean? But it was like, like major props to you for doing it. I Who knew at the time? You didn't know it was my first podcast. It might have you know, sounded like shit. Fortunately, it didn't. But you know, guys like you and Tim and Tyler were just really good. And getting you guys out right away helped me establish myself a little bit. And then it led to guys like Richard Deitch and eventually like Adam Schefter and Josina Anderson coming on and doing the show. So I owe a lot to you guys, especially you specifically, being my first guest. So I do appreciate that. Yeah, no problem at all. I appreciate you having me back on too, man. Now, when I first started this podcast, by the way, there were certain people that I interviewed, maybe nervous. Do you remember time like early in your broadcasting career where you'd get nervous before going on the air or, or you know, maybe somebody that you've interviewed before, past or present, that got you feeling a little bit nervous? Boy, I don't know about that. I don't know if I've ever been nervous talking to anybody or interviewing anybody. Um, I think that it's not about nervousness. 
I think that I've been in situations I can think of where I want to make sure I do it right. I want to ask the right questions. I could tell you like specifically uh, when the Bills hired Doug Marone, uh, I was not even full time yet at WVR. Joe Biscaglia was still there. Uh, he was the beat reporter, but I was a fill-in host and, you know, still doing stuff uh, on the Bills uh, radio network, you know, with John Murphy. And I was pretty much tasked that afternoon with having the very first interview on air with Doug Marone. So, wow, here we go, right? Like Doug Marone yeah. gives his introductory press conference and then he's going to go to WGR and who's there to interview him? Not Howard and Jeremy, not Joe, not Silver the Bulldog, it's me. And, I, you know, I could tell you that that was a moment that wasn't nervousness for me in any way. It was, I need to ask the right questions here. Like this is this is important for me. It's important for my listeners. It's important for Buffalo sports fans and it's important for my career. You know, because you don't want to sound like an idiot or ask stupid questions. And, you know, thankfully, I was familiar with Doug Marone because of he came from Syracuse and things like that. Um, so I, I would say there have been instances like that where I just want to make sure I'm asking the right questions. Uh, you know, not that I'm nervous ever talking to anybody. I could interview anyone from, you know, the, the, the manager of a seventh grade basketball team up to, you know, the president. It wouldn't matter to me. I don't care. I, I'm never nervous around doing this job. You know, that's what I do for a living. And I've spoken to all different kinds of people across the spectrum, believe me. But uh, yeah, I, I, I want to make sure I do it right sometimes. And that's what, you know, gets me a little bit under the pressure. Sure. Last year, when we talked, you would cover the bills. You were coming off a playoff season this year. The, the, uh, the atmosphere was quite different. We were kind of warned, you know, ahead of time that this was a team that was expected to take a step back. And that's what they did in 2018. Was it different for you covering the team this year as opposed to last year, you know, when they rose, kind of came out of nowhere, to be honest with you, and, and went to the playoffs as opposed to this year with the rookie quarterback and a bunch of different parts like that and kind of knew ahead of time that this was going to be a season where a rebuild would be starting? Yeah, I think this year was a little, was, was more frustrating for sure uh, in a lot of ways uh, because of, you know, them making the playoffs and certain people had a lot more ac- expectations from them, although I think internally, those of us who were really around the team knew that, you know, maybe those expectations should be tempered a little bit. I I don't think they ever intended on you know not trying to win or anything like that. I think they did, but I think, you know, really looking back, Pat, they, they knew that they'd probably have to take a step back. In fact, there were several of us in the media who, you know, during the preseason, we would be talking and saying, you know, this really is year one. Last year was year two. They didn't expect to have year two so early. They'd expected it to go one, two, but it really went two, one, if, if that makes sense. Sure. You know, this is the year. 2018 is the year they're supposed to have in 2017 because 17 really became the year they were supposed to have maybe in 2018 or even 2019. So I think from that aspect, it was frustrating because there were some expectations from fans that I think were a little bit unrealistic, but at the same time for myself, I'm a competitor. I want the team to win, you know, and I enjoyed the playoff run last year and the success of making the playoffs. And that was fun. So, you know, I, I wasn't, satisfied with just going out there and getting blown out against Denver or you know, watching the game against the Chargers in the first half and thinking, my gosh, is this team going to finish 0-16 or 1-15? But but as the season went on, um, it became so much more about Josh Allen that I think it really kind of changed in a lot of ways of what, you know, of course, 2017 was and became a little bit more fulfilling if you were able to compartmentalize. And I think that was the key for me, compartmentalize what the season was about. It was no longer about making the playoffs or a draft pick. It wasn't about winning or losing necessarily. You still wanted to win. It really was about Josh Allen. And, you know, for me to compartmentalize that every week and say, Hey, you know, that we're going to a game this week to really evaluate Josh Allen. 
I think it became a lot easier, you know, as a, as a, a sideline reporter, as a fan, if you will, from the, the, da- the daily grind of just, oh, here we go again. And, you know, can, can they at least try to stick with this team? Right. And I think in generally speaking, you know, what was generally a lost season, the play of a lot of the rookies, I feel like it was a bright spot. I wanted to take a little bit of a tour around the Bills roster while I have you on. But before I do that, NFL.com had a feature recently, a few days ago, ranking from like 1 to 32 each team's rookie class. It had Buffalo 14th, which by the way, that article didn't even mention Levi Wallace, which I thought was kind of ridiculous. But anyway, how do you feel about this rookie class after year one? Because you talked about Josh Allen, Tremaine Edmonds, he's entrenched as a starter. You got guys like Phillips and Wyatt Teller. They have a great chance to become starters next year. Same thing, Levi Wallace, Teron Johnson looked like a solid nickel corner when he was able to stay healthy. And Robert Foster, who, you know, if last year wasn't a fluke, this guy may go on to become a star. Yeah, I think um, Foster kind of makes up for what they didn't do in the draft at wide receiver with Ray Ray McLeod or Austin Prohl, right? I mean, they draft these guys and you hope that they come in and they can maybe fight for a spot on the roster. And of course, Ray Ray McLeod did wind up making the team, but never really became the guy I think they thought he could as far as getting them the ball sometimes and making things happen. But Robert Foster kind of shows up out of nowhere, you know, because they go out and they get him as an undrafted free agent. He kind of saved, I think Foster kind of saved the wide receiver group, if you will, uh, as far as the rookie class is concerned. He still wanted more out of what you got from the draft picks, maybe. But I think Robert Foster really showed that he could be a guy that they can rely on long term. And I think that was a big deal for them. Even to a degree, you still have Cam Phillips, too, where they brought in. It's funny because I think Cam Phillips and Robert Foster the two undrafted free agents clearly at the end of the year might've been ahead of where, where Ray Ray McLeod and certainly Austin Pearl were. And of course Ray Ray was still on the team and Camp Phillips wasn't, but those are guys that maybe you could see long-term sticking with the bills, you know, longer than even Ray Ray McLeod. I think it's a big year next year for Ray Ray. If he wants to be, you know, in the NFL going forward uh, on the defensive side though, my goodness. I mean, Taron Johnson was just amazing for what he did uh, in the slot corner. And, you know, the only concern with him is his health. He just, he injured his shoulder almost every single week. It seemed like he ultimately had to have that surgery, shut his season down. He's not the biggest guy in the world, but he plays like it. He's super physical. And, you know, he was a a really good, not just rookie slot corner, but NFL slot corner. He did a really good job overall. And then, you know, Levi Wallace had an outstanding year. He came on, he's long, um, you know, he's athletic. I, I don't know if he's physical enough though to continue locking that spot down. I, I do think that they're going to want to upgrade, I think, still at corner number two opposite Tredavious White. I think Levi's nice to have. He's a good player. It's nice to have him there. But I, I just think that once teams start to see that maybe he's not as physical as you want him to be and you can take advantage of him, he's not as strong. He, remember, he lost a couple of jump balls, one to Detroit and Galladay, one to um, Moncrief against Jacksonville at the goal line. You know, Those are things that he's going to have to get better in. Wyatt Teller on the offensive line came along well. Uh, Harrison Phillips came along well. So I think from, from that regard, that's fine. And of course, this rookie class, Pat, no matter what happens, is always going to be judged really by how, how well Josh Allen does. Yeah, definitely for sure. And, and, let's and I go, didn't mention Tremaine Edmonds. I mean, we all know that Tremaine is a really good football player and it doesn't need to be said. I mean, they trade up, they did trade up for him, but no matter what happens with any of those guys, if Josh Allen is really good, we're all going to say this is a really good rookie class, I think. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. Let's start there. I want to jump around to a couple of positions and get your takes on a few things. In terms of quarterback, the room is set for 2019, and we're only in February right now. They gave Barkley and Anderson new contracts, which is a far cry from last year, of course, at this time. We literally had no idea 
who would be the starter or the backup. How much does it benefit this team, do you think, to have that squared away so quickly in the process of the offseason? Well, I think you got a little bit of insight into their own um, thinking of how they made a mistake last year, meaning the front office. And Brandon Bean has said that. You know, he came on uh, WGR and John Murphy's show, One Bills Live, right after the season, and he said – you know, that uh, he he probably miscalculated. I don't remember the exact phrase he used or wording he used. He said, he, I know what he said. He said he, he wished he would have got Derek Anderson in sooner. Yeah. And that's not an indictment on A.J. McCarron necessarily, but I think they thought A.J. was something maybe he wasn't. And, you know, because you had Nathan Peterman, and they, I think they overestimated at the end of the day what Nathan Peterman was going to be on the field and what him and Josh Allen together would be off the field. They just did not have nearly enough experience to go into a season you know, needing what they needed as far as a knowledge base of experience to go and game plan every week and know how to go out every single day at practice and do what you have to do to get ready for a game. And that's not, that's okay. I mean, it's just, that, that's the way it is for, for rookies or second year guys, but they needed to fix that. And I think what you saw really was Brandon Bean in December. Now you remember now they, they resigned uh, Matt Barkley in mid-December and then right as soon as the season ends, they re-signed Derek Anderson. So they basically said, we are not even going to leave this up to chance. We are taking care of this now, and we are not going to have anything close to what we had last year. No miscalculation. We know who these guys are. We like this room. This is exactly what we want. Let's go, and let's not worry about it. Now, when it comes to the running backs, I find this very interesting. LaShawn McCoy is going to be 31 in August. He's got one year left on his deal, $9 million. They could save six. I think it's like 6.4 if they cut him. And then you got... Chris Ivory, who has injury issues, his cap hit is like almost $3 million. They could save around $2 million if they caught him. He's going to be 30 years old as well. But the problem is, I mean, obviously they want to draft a young guy, but they don't have that young guy yet. You know what I mean? Do you think both these guys are going to be back despite their age and their salary for 2019? Maybe they stick around for one more year and they draft a young guy. Or do you think maybe that they go out and they get someone in free agency and then maybe one of these guys ends up, you know, getting their walking papers at some point? Look, I think let's start with LaShawn. Um, no matter what, you know, we could make an argument for not having him in Buffalo and why he should be let go or traded or whatever. I will tell you that, sure, I mean, anything can happen. Any conversation I've had with anybody, I have not been of any other mind that they really do plan on him being here in 2019. Like, they plan, they plan on him bouncing back. They think that he, sure, he can do more himself. And you know, that was a, an issue last year with him, maybe being too frustrated, trying to hit the home run ball, whatever you have it, but they can help him. They can give him help in the, you know, run game area. As far as the blocking is concerned, they can give him help as far as the quarterback and having other weapons that people have to concentrate on and not him. Now that doesn't mean that something could happen and they could decide between now and the draft to make a trade, or they could decide that really there's somebody else out there and they wind up releasing him. But I think they really do have it in their mind and have at least, since last trade deadline and keeping him that he's going to be a, on their team in 2019. And they've said so. And I think that is very sincere. As far as the other guys are concerned, I think everything, everything is fair game and it's all up in the air. Meaning, I don't know, Pat, maybe Tevin Coleman is a guy you go out and get, you know, he's in his mid twenties. He's a guy that you could use in both the run and pass game. He can come in, he can help out in a Brian Dable offense. And that's going to make somebody expendable. I think they like Chris Ivory a lot. I like Chris Ivory. I think he had a nice year last year doing what he had to do. He's more of the bruiser. And you do need a guy like that a little bit. You know, Keith Ford is a guy that they gave a little bit of time to at the end of the year. I know they love him in practice, but it's a lot different once the real lights go on. Marcus Murphy, now he was in a battle with uh, Travaris Cadet to make the team when it started. So 
you're going to go to you're going to go to training camp. I think you're going to have LaShawn McCoy, Marcus Murphy, Chris Ivory, Keith Ford, and either a you're going to you're probably going to sign somebody in free agency, and you're going to probably draft somebody, and that's going to be your part of your ninety group, and they're going to go there, and they're all going to fight for spots. But I think once they go to camp, it's it's still right now to me, LaShawn McCoy is the number one running back. And receiver Foster and Zay Jones are definitely in. I would suspect McKenzie's back as well. I don't know about Deontay Thompson coming back. Beyond that, though, they don't have much in terms of proven receivers. Outside help has to be coming. You wrote about this recently on WGR550.com. Who are a few guys out there that you think could potentially be a good free agent fit for Buffalo? Well, I'm a big Tyrell Williams fan as far as this is concerned. I think Tyrell Williams uh, from the Chargers would fit what the Bills want. Uh, look, I, I think he just needs opportunity. I don't, I'm not telling you he'd be a clear number one guy in Buffalo. I mean, that, that is, that, that's, a, that's a big task, and I don't know if he's quite ready for that. Although, when Keenan Allen went down two years ago for the Chargers, he stepped up and he had a 1,000-yard season when he was the number one target for Phillip Rivers. So he handled it. That was only his second year in the league. Well, then Keenan Allen came back, and they drafted Mike Williams. So the guy is basically the third option, and then he might even be the fourth if you count their tight end. Once Hunter Henry is healthy, basically, he becomes their fourth option. So I think this is a guy that really just needs opportunity, and you know maybe the Bills can give him that opportunity. And you might have to – I don't know what the contract is going to be. He could be the top-paid wide receiver on the open market, and if that's the case, then you overpay for him. I don't. You don't want to do that, but that's a guy. Um, The more I – go down this rabbit hole, the more I like a guy that's uh, out in your neck of the woods there, Adam Humphreys. Mm-hmm. I think Adam Humphreys is a really good slot receiver. And, you know, the, with the team the Bill, Bills are building, they're trying to be a little bit faster and more vertical and throw the ball down the field. Well, Josh Allen's going to need somebody to run those underneath routes. And Adam Humphreys, I think, is is really the kind of guy that you want. He's he's kind of Julian Edelman light, if you will, right? I mean, he's, he's just there. He makes plays. He makes catches. And, Pat, if you look at his career, he's been in the league four years. Every year he's had more catches. Every year he's had more yards. His production keeps going up and up and up. I like him more than I like Cole Beasley. Cole Beasley is a similar type of player, but he's older. And I think there's some question marks about, you know, what he feels about his own ability and where he should be and how often he should be getting the ball and things like that. And that might raise some red flags in Buffalo. I know there was some stuff that went on in Dallas with that, you know, so we'll see about that. You can't count out a guy like Devin Funchess, obviously he comes from Carolina. They have the connection there. Anytime there's a Carolina free agent, you have to, you know, throw a guy like that out there. So, you know, there, there's several guys out there, but I think Tyrell Williams and Adam Humphreys would be the two types of targets that I would look for. Maybe John Brown as well. John Brown is a guy that can really stretch the field. The Bills liked him last year. They offered him a contract. He ultimately signed with the Ravens, did a nice job, bet on himself, and now he's earned probably more money this year. Let me ask you as a follow-up right here. I like Adam Humphreys a lot. I've seen him down there a lot. I, I really think he could help the Bills. Good slot receiver. If that were to happen, though, let's just say that does. In terms of Zay Jones, do you think he could play well on the outside? Because obviously Humphreys would be the main slot receiver, so that would push Zay Jones outside where some people think he might be better as a slot. Where do you think Zay Jones is better as a receiver, outside or the slot? You know, I haven't studied the numbers on it, but um, I think Zay is probably more suited for the slot because I I think that he needs a little bit of space. Uh, But I think he's better outside than probably he's given credit for people think he can be because I think he's a little faster than people realize. And also, you know, if you're, I, I mean, I've stood next to Jay Jones plenty of times. He's thick. I mean, he, he, he can handle his own. So I, you know, maybe getting off press coverage, you don't, it's not just being big. You got to be able to do that. Um, but I think he can handle outside. So, you know, where he, he can play wherever he's probably more suited to his game still early in his career here going into his third year to be a slot receiver. 
But I would have no issue at all if you bring in a guy like Humphreys and Zay Jones is an outside guy, and and, and that's where you want to put him. The, the problem would be if Zay Jones, your outside guy, is your number one, now the issue is, okay, he's not a number one wide receiver, right? I mean, you know, so, so that's, I think, where it becomes a numbers game and who do you have and where do you line up? It's not necessarily if he's inside or outside. To me, it's if he's outside, what does that represent to your football team about who he is, you know, as far as on the depth chart and, you know, your 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 targets are concerned? Yeah, that's a great point. Moving on to tight end, Charles Clay just got cut. Everyone saw that coming. Logan Thomas, restricted. Who knows if he'll be back? They have Jason Krum right now. Basically, that's it. You also wrote about recently on WGR550.com about the tight ends. Who are one or two guys that you like out there in free agency? And do you think that this is a position that they may end up targeting pretty early in a draft? Because, you know, without having the name off prospects, this is, from what I've heard, a really good draft for tight ends. It is a very good draft for tight end uh, tight ends. Um both Hawkinson and Noah Font, uh, two kids from Iowa. They're just, it's amazing that Iowa basically has the top two tight ends yeah. in this entire draft, which is amazing. And there's some other guys too, if you go down this draft. So I do think that they could target one early. How early? I don't think number nine though. You know I mean? I think right. you have to probably trade down, get one and then get something else. So I think a nine is probably early for a tight end thinking about how this regime might think about things, but you never know. I mean, if you feel a guy is really worth it, can help your young quarterback that much, maybe, you know, you, you justify taking him <laughs> at that spot. Excuse me. As you know, I'm under the weather, so I yeah. apologize. But um, Jared Cook is probably the number one tight end on the market as far as, you know, production is concerned. But he's 32 years old, Pat. And I don't know if this is the kind of guy you bring in now with your young quarterback to grow with you. You know, at 32 years old, I think by the time maybe you really want it, where Josh Allen's going to ultimately be, no, you're already looking for that next number one guy. I think you want a guy that can really grow with Josh Allen. You look at a guy like Jesse James out of Pittsburgh, who I think just screams Sean McDermott, screams process. He is, I think, cut right from the Sean McDermott type of uh, player and DNA, as they say. He's even from Pennsylvania, just like uh, well, I should say he played in Pennsylvania for the Steelers, You know, just like Sean McDermott's from Pennsylvania. But that being said, um, 112 catches, over 1,100 yards in his career. He's not the most athletic guy. He's a guy, though, that's going to help out. He's going to play every play. He's going to run his butt off and find the open spot. And he's good in scramble drills, as John Ledyard from the uh, Draft Network told me when I asked him about him and to break him down because he follows the Steelers. Uh, I like that guy a lot. I think that guy that could be a guy that could come in and really help out. And then I love Tyler Eifert so much. I just wish he wasn't hurt. I think everybody could say the same thing, right? Yeah. 29 years old. You know, he came in this league. He was great when he's he came talented. in this league. Yeah. Oh, that, but he's just, he's been hurt so much. I, I, if you get the medical clearance on Tyler Tyler Eifert and you think, you know, this is a guy that is going to stay healthy, then I think you go after him. But it's interesting. The Bengals have three unrestricted free agent tight ends. They have Tyler Eifert, Tyler Croft, and CJ Uzoma. And I asked Joe Goodbury, uh, who's from The Athletic out there and Locked On Bengals podcast, to break them all down for me. And he actually said that Ozuma would be the guy that if you went after one of them, he would go after uh, because he says – he can, you can develop him still. He's toughness. He's got a, a great, he's, he's willing to block. He's also got good hands. He says, he's the guy that I would actually go after out of all three of these guys because of where he is in his career and the fact that he can still get better. Huh, that's interesting. Now, when it comes to the offensive line, dude, I, you're covered a team. You're in there all the time. You're in the locker room. You're on the field. You're on the sidelines, whether it's someone like you or a casual fan who watches the game on the couch, drinking beer all day. They know that the offensive line is a mess. Deion Dawkins is the only one for sure. 
who will be a returning starter. Probably Wyatt Teller. I think he's a wait-and-see guy, though, for right now. And they did sign Spencer Long, which actually, let me start there, okay? Spencer Long, what's your take on, on Buffalo signing him from New York? Well, look, I mean, it's funny how Bills fans react sometimes. They they complain, they don't address the line. They don't address the line. Come on, do something. What are you going to do? Well, they go out and they sign the only guy that's really even, they're allowed to sign, essentially, right? Because, yeah. I mean, everybody else is under contract until March 13th. This guy was actually cut. He has started in this league for four years, essentially. They go out and say, okay, well, we're going to sign somebody. He's the only guy we can even sign at this point. We're going to definitely try to do something. And then a lot of those same fans come back and go, ha ha, what a horrible signing. Guilty is charged. Yes, you're right. You're right. You're a hundred percent. I mean, I mean, what do you want? I mean, you know, if you, if, if you're going to complain that they're not addressing the line, well, they just tried to address the line and there's nothing else they can do. That's the only guy they're allowed to sign basically at this point. So they're trying it. Now, if you want to make the argument, they gave him too much money. I could totally hear that. Uh, now that we know some of the numbers that are out though, Pat, um, it's not, it's not nearly the deal that it was first reported. Right. It looks like it's going to be a one-year deal and then an option, then another option. You know, but at the, at the end of the day, they need help. And I think what's interesting to me about the Spencer Long signing is he is a guy who can play both center and guard. You got Russell Bodine coming off an injury, broken leg, who, you know, you hope that he's ready, but maybe there's a sign that they don't feel he's going to be as ready. Or it could simply be, we like him at guard, and we're going to let John Miller walk, or Vlad Dukas is in, you know, in our plans next year, you know, he's under contract, and you're going to have Bodine, and you're going to have Spencer Long. And he really builds that Ryan Groy spot maybe too, where he can go in and he can be the center uh, for Bodine. So yeah, I'm okay with it. I mean, you know why I'm okay with it? Because they got to try anything they can to start to bringing in guys. It's the same thing with wide receiver last year. It was such a bad group. They just had to keep bringing in guys until they found the right pieces. And I think that's what they have to do at offensive line right now. Yeah. Groy's a free agent. Miller's a free agent. Mills is a free agent. None of them might be back. Who knows? Dukas is a veteran. I mean, they'll probably keep them. They don't have any financial cap restrictions to have to cut a guy like that, but that could happen as well. I've seen a lot of mock drafts out there. Todd McShay, Will Brinson, a bunch of those guys, and I see them taking more and more. Buffalo taking a Juwan Taylor, the offensive tackle from Florida at number nine. Would you be good with the Bills taking a right tackle at nine? Yeah, I think I would. Um, You know, if you have to protect the kid, right? I mean, you got to get him help, and I think generally, not all the time, you know, you take a lineman high in the draft, he's, he's Pretty much you can beg. That's one of the positions I think that turns out a little bit more often than not to be, you know, a solid player. It doesn't mean he's necessarily going to be a Hall of Famer, um, but I think the bust rate is probably a little bit less than some of the other positions you go high in the draft. And guys like that, I think you can come in. They can often play right away, although I think it's risky to do that. And you bring him in and, you know, you're asking him, especially on the left side. But if you're going to ask him on the right side, you know, you can, um, I think, get some, get something out of them, but it is a little bit risky. Uh, I'd be okay with it. They have to build up that offensive line. If you're not going to do it, then where are you going to find these guys? Unless they go out and free agency and they sign a Trent Brown and they sign a Daryl Williams and they all of a sudden, Hey, we got all these tackles. What do we want to do with them? Then I could see it and I'd be okay with it. On the defensive side of the ball, Kyle Williams retires. Jordan Phillips is a free agent. I would suspect that the bills might have interest in bringing him back. But they still got a little bit of work to do at defensive tackle. And then at end, Hughes is 30 years old. He's going into the last year of his deal. Shaq Lawson, potentially, he's going into the last year of his deal unless the Bills exercise that fifth-year option. And then you got Trent Murphy, who looked good last year when he was healthy, but he hasn't been fully healthy in two years. Do you think that defensive line is a spot that the Bills may surprise some people out there by spending like a nice chunk of money in free agency or maybe even signing or not signing, drafted a guy with that top 10 pick? and the defensive line. Absolutely, Pat. I mean, 
look, you just have to look at Sean McDermott, what he's known for and what he wants. And, you know, for, for right or for wrong, you know, I mean, he, he's, he builds his team on defense and that's how they won games. And because of everything you just said, they do need help there. I mean, Terry Hughes is a nice player and I think he's way better than a lot of people gave him credit for last year, but you know, he doesn't get to the quarterback every, every play and, you know, make tons of sacks like everybody wants and they need on this team. And they were hoping Trent Murphy would bring that. And as you said, and you know, he is, he's been injured. So they got to get a guy that can help out on the pass rush on the edge if they can. And, you know, if you have, if you're sitting there at number nine, I don't think Josh Allen, the other one from Kentucky is going to be there, but you know, if a guy like that is there, how do you pass up? You know, you have to bring him in onto your football team. And then now you can let Shaq Lawson go and not worry about his fifth year option. And, you know, you can have your replacement all set. Who's going to be a lot cheaper. In the meantime, think about what they have at defensive tackle right now. Pretty much nothing. They have Starlo Tulele and Harrison Phillips. I mean, that's pretty much where this is right now. So, you know, maybe Gerald McCoy gets cut from the Bucks. You might know about that. I don't know. Go out and get him. Uh, but I do see them. And is that all at Oliver going to be there in the draft? Can you, you know, draft him and put plug him in there? I, I think that is a underlying type of storyline here that going into the offseason about what they might want to do. Yeah. And linebacker, the room is kind of set. At least the starters are much like the quarterbacks. I do want to, I'm sure they'll go out and get a guy or two for death, you know, maybe a mid-round draft pick. Maybe they sign someone, you know, the groom to, uh, you know, get ready to take over for Lorenzo Alexander after this year. The question I did want to ask you about the backers, though, what are your thoughts on Tremaine Edmonds as a rookie? Because we spend so much time, rightfully so, talking about Josh Allen. And Tremaine Edmonds, his rookie year almost kind of went under the radar. What were your thoughts on him as a first-year player? Uh, I thought that he started a little bit slower than people thought he should have, and myself included. Got better as the season went on. Um, but if you if you are around Tremaine, you don't you know why that is. He's really hard worker. He's very smart. You know, he's got a lot of bloodlines. You know, his dad played in the league. Was an All Pro in tight end, uh, Pro Bowl tight end. I think he was. I should say uh, his brother, first round pick, same year as him. His other brother already in the league. So you know, he he's he knows what it takes to to have to be in this league and be a professional every week. And I think that's why he got better. But especially we saw what happened in that Chargers game early on week two. He had a lot of trouble covering backs out of the backfield. His eyes aren't in the right spot. So I think the game slowed down for him. His leadership grew as the season went on. So probably um, a little bit less of a season than many people expected him to have. But I think maybe, and I'm guilty of this too. I expected more than I should have from him. Uh, But you think about it. He's 20 years old, man. He started the season at 20 years old. That's unbelievable. And he's he's not even 21 yet. He's going to turn 21 years soon, I think, right? I mean, it's it's crazy to think about you know, how young he is. So I thought he had a good year. He had a good year, probably not the year that some people put uh, on him as far as expectations, and I'd say myself included. Now, the secondary is pretty much set, except for potential Levi Wallace, which you talked about earlier. Do you see... Maybe, maybe Greedy Williams could be a guy. He's supposedly the top corner on the board from LSU. Let's just say that the Bills go out and they sign. I, I mean, it's impossible to speculate right now, but they go into the draft where they got two or three positions where they could take the best player available. If someone like Greedy Williams is on the board at nine, would you be shocked to see the Bills take a corner that high in the draft? No, I'll go back to everything I just said about, uh, you know, Sean McDermott and his teams. And look, I, I know Brandon Bean has taken a lot of garbage for this, but I defended him. I wrote about it and said, you don't draft for need. You don't. He said it. You don't draft for need. But what does that mean? It doesn't mean you have to take immediately the best player available because if the best player is a quarterback, they're not going to take them. Right. right. I mean, that's just not the way it works. What it means is 
you don't go into the draft and say, we need a wide receiver. We need a wide receiver. Take a wide receiver at number nine, no matter who it is. Because if you get to number nine and the, the top wide receiver is 21st ranked guy on your board, that's just no value in that. So you don't do that. So you try to take the best player available, but you also try to make it worthy of enough of a position where he's going to be used on your team. So if there's a few guys in there and you have to sacrifice a spot or two for value because, you know, somebody is there at uh, a position you don't need versus someone who is you do need with a couple spots later, you do it. Corner is a spot that they need. Like I said, I think they could really help themselves out. I'm not convinced that Levi Wallace is going to be a long-term answer at starter. I like him a lot. Here's the problem, though. Greedy Williams, as good as he is, not that physical. I mean, and this is a game today in the NFL where your corners have to be physical. They have to tackle. There's a lot of there's a lot of dump offs, a lot of screen passes, a lot of underneath stuff. There's a lot of you know there. This is this is a lot of space out there. This is why Taron Johnson, the guys like that, are so valuable, and that's why you need guys. I think that need to be a little more physical. And I don't know. And look, as good as Greedy Williams is, I think he would help any team. And I'd be fine with him being drafted at number nine. But I do wonder if he's physical enough to justify that spot in the draft for a guy like Sean McDermott. All right. Before I let you go, I want to talk about two other teams that I know you're fans of. One of them are the Yankees. We're taping this late Sunday night. So as of right now, and this could definitely be different by the time people hear this on Tuesday morning, but as of right now, both Manny Machado and Bryce Harper are still out there, which to me, God damn, that is absolutely shocking. Are you surprised that the Yankees haven't made a bigger push? At least one that's been reported for either into this point, especially Manny Ramirez as or, uh, Manny, Marin, Machado. Manny, Manny Machado. As of right now, again, as of Sunday night, what I'm hearing on Twitter, John Heyman, thinks that the Padres and the White Sox are probably the two teams that are in on him the most. Bryce Harper, it looks like it might be Philly. The point being is neither signed. It's late in the process. Are you a little surprised that the Yankees have made a bigger push for one of those two? I'm actually surprised they didn't make a bigger push for Machado, but I'm glad they didn't make a bigger push for Machado. I'm only surprised because it's the Yankees, and that's what they do. I never wanted them to have to go out and get Machado. Um, I, I, I like He's a really good baseball player. You know what I like though? I like the fact that they don't they have they have a nice system going right now. They have good young players, they have a nice farm system set up. You know, these contracts come due and then you have to find other guys. Like if you sign Manny Machado, you know, what happens to Andujar necessarily, right? I mean, like, like you have you have other moves that have to be made and I think I like the team that they're building right now. I did not want the Yankees to go out and spend a whole bunch of money on Manny Machado and I still hope they don't. Sure. You want to give me Manny Machado, put him on my team as a talent? Absolutely. I'm not going to say that he wouldn't help the New York Yankees, but I'm glad that they haven't done that. And as far as Harper, I just never believed the Yankees were ever in the running or a destination for him anyway. So I'm not, not surprised in any way. Assuming they don't end up with either. Are you satisfied with this offseason? They traded for Paxton, added Adam Adovino, and re-signed Zach Brennan for the bullpen. Hell of a bullpen. They also signed Troy Tulowitzki to play shortstop, which... You know, who knows how long he'll stay healthy for. But those were their moves for the offseason. Are you pretty satisfied with them going into 2019 right now? I do. I really, I mean, that bullpen is amazing, right? When yes. you think about what, what they could be, if, they, if that bullpen stays relatively healthy, they don't have the, and they can even afford missing guys here or there. I mean, that's why I think you, you build up that bullpen so you don't have to worry about having the, you know, injuries that can really just uh, to kill you. You look down and who some of the guys they have, it's amazing. Um, you know, Chad Green. And, uh, and Canley, and I mean, these guys, they, they can go out there and they could just throw arm after arm after arm. And then you look at the starting staff. I mean, you know, CC's coming back for what is 19th season now. Uh, Hap is, is returning. I like what he brings. Severino, they should have a, a really 
they should have a really solid uh, starting rotation and especially bullpen. But then you look around. I do love I love the Tolowitzki signing. Uh, this is this is kind of the anti-Yankee signing. This is something normally the Yankees would go out and get a guy like Machado. They wouldn't get a guy like Tolowitzki uh, right. because I like that they did this because this is a guy that can hit. He can provide exactly what you need on offense. You know, you have your home run hitters. You have your power. This is a guy that can go out there. He can really stabilize that offense a little bit more, I think, do some extra things for you. Hopefully he stays healthy. And um, I, the fact that they still have Andujar there, the fact that, you know, Torres is coming back, obviously, Aaron Hicks in the year that he had last year, it's okay. You know, and I'm even okay with them re-signing Brett Gardner at his age. I mean, you know, he's frustrating at times, but it's not like he's going to play every day. So I, I think they, they have a lot more depth and a lot more stability and options up and down the lineup. Yeah, I'd like to see Clint Frazier emerge this year too, because I think it would be a big help. I don't trust yes. Brett Gardner over a whole year. You know, Ellsbury goes without saying. Hicks was really good last year. Can he do it again this year? I don't know, but I'd like to see Clint Frazier. I think that would be it. He's a low-key important part of this team, I think, if they don't make any big trades or anything like that for an outfielder. Yeah, and uh, I think Voight is also another guy that you can kind of think about at first base. Like, what does Luke Voight bring here, right? I mean, if he can bring you you know, uh, most of what you think you can get from him. I think that's going to be an interesting, interesting spot too. I think first base has kind of hurt them, you know, over the last couple of years. And I think that's a spot they really have to stabilize. Got to hit on the Sabres before we're done here. Again, we're taping this late Sunday night. One game after Phil Housley called his team soft when they lost to the Rangers at home on Friday. They go out Sunday night playing one of the worst teams in the NHL at New Jersey against the Devils and got humiliated dude they got humbled they lost four to one looked awful completely embarrassing loss and since that 10 game winning streak they've only went 11 17 and 5 winning just 11 of their last 33 games again Phil Housley calls his team out calls them soft and then they go out the next game and and they look soft you're gonna get pounded not you just all the WGR guys in general I'm sure if you're not already you're gonna be getting pounded with is Phil Housley going to get fired? Phil Housley, should he get fired? Those types of questions for months to come, I'm sure, if the Sabres don't make the playoffs. Do you think potentially Phil Housley could be in trouble when this season's over? Is he potentially in trouble? Yes. I mean, I, I don't know what Jason Bottrell's thinking, uh, but if they miss the playoffs, I think all options are on the table. I don't think, however, this organization, this ownership wants to start over at coach again. Uh, they've done this too many times in both football and hockey. Uh, they'd really probably prefer not to do that, but you have to let Jason Bottrell, you know, do what he thinks is best. And, you know, obviously with ownership approval, they would be in on those discussions. And I, I would not doubt And after, like what you said, Pat, I think you hit the nail on the head there. You, he calls them soft and then they go out there and have that performance that that's kind of an indictment on them. Right. I mean, yeah. it, did they, they're not, they didn't play hard as hard as you would think they didn't go out there and do the things that I think he was calling for them to do. And then I think, then you have to wonder. And it's just the same old routine, though. I mean, it, it's frustrating because you keep thinking, coach, 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 coach. But the fact is, they also don't have good enough players. And it's hard to always blame the coach when you know that you don't have good enough players. But I, I do think that there could be a coaching change. I just think that they don't want to do that. They might have their hand forced, but they don't really want to do that again after only two years. That's what I was going to say. Like, you got to take a look at that locker room at some point. You know, last year with, with the... Word was is that they tuned Dan Blysma out. Well, Phil Housley calls him soft. They go on a road against a team that they should beat, and they just they played soft. They played terrible. Are you starting to think that maybe 
they're starting to tune Phil Housley out a little bit. Well, uh, Paul Hamilton, our beat reporter, WGR, says that uh, he knows that Phil has a system. They preach it. They go over it in practice. And then for some reason, they get to a game. And a lot of times, they don't do that. So I don't know if it's about tuning it out. I don't know if it's about just young guys not understanding and, you know, uh, the concept and how to approach it. Um, there's a lot of things that probably go into it. So, sure, I mean, that could be one of the things that, you know, tuning him out, so to speak. But uh, we'll see where it winds up because I, I thought that if, you know, obviously if they made the playoffs, Phil would be saved. There'd be no way I think you could, you know, turn away from him uh, after that. But now that they don't make the playoffs on the heels of the season they were having and being the spot they were uh, in early December, I think all options are probably on the table. Last question, and then I'm going to let you go. I know you're under the weather. I really appreciate you coming on. Let's circle back here, too. I want you to give me one big, bold Buffalo Bills offseason prediction. Tell me something big that you see happening this offseason, whether it's somebody they draft, a trade, free agency, something big. Who? Um, I don't know if it's bold enough. I think it's unlikely they draft at number nine. Is that bold enough? Yeah, that's bold. That's a trade. Okay. I'll say, yeah, I, I would say I would put, if you tell me like, what's the percentage they actually draft the number nine pick, I say probably less than, it's less than 50, 50 to me and probably closer to 25 or 30%. Oh, wow. Okay. I think they trade, I think they trade down. That's my bold prediction. They trade down. Who's a team that you could see coming up to, to, to take Buffalo spot at nine? It's a great question. I don't know. Um, you know, I've, I've kind of looked at the draft a little bit and I think a lot of it has to shake out here over, uh, you know, free agency and what, you know, teams need, what they want as far as their, you know, who wants the quarterback. I think the question is who really wants the quarterback because you could think the Raiders, but why? I mean, the Raiders have three first rounders. You know, they don't necessarily have to do something like that. I mean, they're already picking ahead of the Bills anyway, but I don't know, maybe Washington, do they have to do that though? I mean, you know, it's interesting. Carolina with Cam Newton's situation. I don't know. I can't really find a team because I would say Miami could be the team, but you don't really do that with a division rival like Miami. You don't have them come up and, and grab that guy. So we'll see. It's going to be interesting. I'm not really sure you know, which, which team fits the mold, but I think the Bills are going to trade down. If you're the Bills GM and you could trade down to a spot that you feel comfortable, forget the other teams for right now, if you could trade down to a spot where you'd be happy to move down to this spot but still feel comfortable that you could get a guy that you like, what would be that ideal spot to go down from nine to where? think somewhere in the 14 to 17 range, somewhere in there, maybe 14, 15, 16. Um, then I know I can probably still get either a wide receiver or tight end and the value will be there. And I can really, or even an offensive lineman help out my young quarterback in that regard and still pick up assets along the way. Uh, because I think if you stay at nine, you could be reaching for one of those positions. I'm not sure if that's what they, what they do. Um, you know, like I said, they said, they said they're not going to draft for need though. So we'll see. But I think, you know, you go from nine to 14, 15, 16, somewhere in there. And if, if you go down into the twenties from nine, you better be getting another first round pick in return. Like they did last time with the Kansas city chiefs. We all know how that turned out with Patrick Mahomes, obviously, but you know, if you're going to go from nine all the way down, you know, into the, I don't know, 23, 24, 25 area, you're probably looking at picking up a first rounder next year. Sure. All right, everyone, give Sal a follow on Twitter at Sales Sports. Of course, check out his work on WGR 550, both on the air and also at WGR550.com. Thanks a lot, Sal. Again, I've said it a couple of times. I know you've been severely under the weather over the last handful of days. You're a trooper, dude. Really, really appreciate having you on. It meant a lot to me. All right. Thank you for having me, man. All the best.
You are such a loser. Loser! You're a loser! Moranalytics LVP. Sal and I hit on this a little bit during our chat. When it comes to the Buffalo Sabres, this has got to be one of the most frustrating sports seasons I've ever seen from a Buffalo sports team. At least, if not in recent memory, maybe ever. Let's just go back. November 29th, 2018. Not that long ago. Feels like an eternity, however. On that date, November 29th, Buffalo Sabres, number one in the entire NHL in the standings. Not the division, not the conference, the entire NHL, number one. Now, fast forward, February 19th. There's six points out of a wild card spot. Headed right down the shitter. Season is headed right down the shitter. Make no mistake about it. And all the divisiveness and the fighting between fans and the media, all that stuff, it's all back. It's all fucking back again. And it is so frustrating. At the end of 2018, when it was late November, early December, we figured worst case, yeah, this team might not stay on top of the NHL. Worst case, they're making a wild card. They're making the playoffs. People were ready to go out and get their playoff tickets for Christmas. I I know I was. I was ready to fly back to Buffalo in April, come watch some Buffalo Sabres playoff hockey. That shit ain't happening anymore. But the best part about being a good team a couple months ago was that everyone seemed on the same page. But now, sure enough, everything's back to the way it's been the last seven years. People on Twitter fighting, people coming at Mike Harrington and the Buffalo News, Mike Harrington going back at them, just absolutely silliness there. The tank, Jeremy White from WGR with the whole tank stuff. People fighting with him. The tank worked. The tank didn't work. All that shit. It's all back again. It's all back again. This this team has went running to the shitter. And the last two games for this team pretty much have represented rock bottom. You know, they have a seven-game homestand. They really needed to beat the Rangers on their home ice last Friday to at least salvage what could have been a decent seven-game homestand. Not great, but at least decent. They went out and they got their asses whooped on their home ice. So much so that Phil Housley called these guys soft. They only went 3-3-1 on that seven-game homestand. They entered that. They needed nine or ten points to really stay truly in the thick of the playoff race. Not just on paper, but in reality, they needed nine or ten points, and they only got seven. Just not good enough. Simple as that. Then, to make matters worse, Sunday night, they go into New Jersey, one of the worst teams in the NHL, playing a goalie who's been playing at an AHL level for a while. And they go out one game after Phil Housley calls him soft and they fucking play soft. They get their asses kicked, lose four to one embarrassingly. And this is where we're at now. A team that's going to probably miss the playoffs for an eighth straight year. And everybody's angry. And by the way, they do have a right to be angry. I don't understand why they've done nothing. Jason Botterill should have made a move at some point. He took way too long to realize that this team was headed downward and didn't make any move at all. Phil Housley, he benches the same one or two guys, rotates them in out of the lineup. No statements were made. You can say whatever you want to the media, but nothing's done. It feels like the same Sabres team right now, 
that turned on Dan Blysma and they started tuning him out, which apparently is why Dan Blysma ultimately got fired. Well, it kind of feels like the same thing's happening to Phil Housley. When you're being called soft and getting your manhood tested, and then you go out and play in fucking New Jersey and only can put one goal on the board and you lose four to one, something majorly wrong is going on with the Buffalo Sabres. I don't know if it's the coach. I don't know if it's the players. And considering that this is the same thing we saw with Dan Blysma, maybe it is the players. But whatever it may be, Jason Botterill better do something and better do something quick because at the end of the day, the Buffalo Sabres right now are a team with one really good forward line. They have one defenseman who is not great yet, but he will be. Darlene will be a stud. Rissalanian's pretty good. They got one or two other guys who are all right. And then that's it, man. Bunch of journeymen, bunch of prospects who don't amount to anything. And the goaltending's been terrible. It was good for two months, and now it's been terrible. So Jason Botterill, you got your work cut out, got a lot to do. This team has become fucking aggravating and painful to watch yet again. Buffalo Sabres, this week's Moranalytics LVP. Moranalytics MVP. You the real MVP. Yo, my Moranalytics MVP for this week is coffee. And obviously, I need to explain that to you. I'm 47 years old. I'm 47 and a half years old. They're all my age out there. Not a big fan of doing that, but for context of the story, I kind of need to. 47 and a half years old, never in my life have had an actual cup of coffee until last week. Valentine's Day, in fact. Went out for dinner with my wife, came home, had a cup of coffee with her. Never, ever had a cup. I had a sip or two way back in the day, probably when I was a teenager or something like that. Thought it was disgusting. Never touched the thing again until last Thursday. I was like, hmm, this is good. Just like that, I'm a coffee fan now. I went on Sunday morning to a diner and got a cup of coffee. Didn't care for it that much. Had half and half, a little bit of sugar. Still messing around with the proper mixture to make it enjoyable. but. It's fun. It's a process. I put something on Twitter over the weekend about, you know, I was asking people how they take their coffee and I got so many answers. So many of them, by the way, God forbid, if you're a man, you don't drink your coffee black. You ain't a real man. Well, by the way, fuck that shit. I'm going to drink my coffee the way I enjoy it. The way I enjoy it definitely involves a lot of cream. I went to Publix down here in Florida. I got some Dunkin' Donuts extra extra cream, which is like kind of sweet and you don't need to put any sugar in. I really enjoyed that more than anything. No, I went to a Wawa and I tried a coffee with some French vanilla. That's the shit right there for me. I think I'm going to experiment. I'm going to mess around with some more different creamers and stuff like that. But for me, the go-to is definitely regular medium roast coffee, Colombian coffee, whatever you call it with some French vanilla cream eliminates the need for sugar and it tastes fucking amazing. I'm in love with coffee now, obsessed with coffee. I've probably had at least four or five Facebook statuses over the weekend talking about coffee, probably annoying the living shit out of most of my friends. Don't really care. 
Love coffee. Can't believe it took me 47 and a half years to discover coffee and how great it could be. I'm obsessed with it. I'm probably drinking three or four cups per day minimum going forward. In fact, I'm literally having a cup right now as I'm recording this podcast. Coffee, easily for me, this week's Moranalytics Podcast MVP. All right, that is going to do it for this episode. Special one-year anniversary episode. Thanks again to my guy, Sal Capaccio, WGR 550. I mean, what more is there to say about Sal? One of the truly great people in the Buffalo sports media. Actually, you know what? Not just Buffalo sports. Sports media in general. Great person, great talent, great on-air personality. A hell of a Buffalo Bills beat reporter. Really appreciate having him on, especially considering the fact that he was sick and still found a way to do it. And again, first episode ever of the Moranalytics podcast, Sal Capaccio was my guest. That tells you everything you need to know about how I feel about him as a person and an on-air sports personality. So thanks again, Sal. Good times are going to keep rolling on Friday's show. I have NFL insider Adam Kaplan coming on. We'll talk NFL, Buffalo Bills, all types of news rumors, stuff like that. You're going to want to tune in for that. If you haven't done so already, I invite you to subscribe to this podcast. It's quick. It's easy. It's completely free. The benefit of being a subscriber is that when you do, new episodes automatically get sent directly to your phone or to your computer within just minutes of the release. You'll get them before anyone else. Usually have a new show every Tuesday and Friday. If you have an iPhone or an iPad, all you got to do is whip that out. Open up the Apple Podcast app, type in Moranalytics Podcast under search, hit the subscribe button. Literally, that's it. That's all you got to do. Don't forget to rate and review. That would be cool as hell. That helps tremendously. And you know what? If iPhones or iPads just simply aren't your thing, or if you prefer to get your podcast elsewhere, you can also hit us up on Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are found. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter for updates, news, takes, podcast polls, all kinds of stuff like that. You can do it at Pat Moran Tweets. Have a good, safe rest of the week. Again, Adam Kaplan coming up on Friday's show. Talk to you then. Thanks again for listening. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.